Section 3 A Lonely Struggle. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Hirsch. Thou must walk on, however man upbraid thee, with him who trod the winepress all alone. Thou mayst not find one human hand to aid thee, one human soul to comprehend thy own. A rough, stony, uphill path, or rather track, under gray-green olive trees, leading to a perfect tangle of cypresses and pines. Somewhere in the tangle of cypresses, almost hidden from sight, lay a dilapidated ancient church, which long ago had been dedicated to the martyr Damien. Up this stony track one day stumbled Francis. His was now a solitary life. He was a complete puzzle to parents and friends, and indeed to a great extent he was a puzzle to himself. His life in his father's house was far from pleasant. Pietro's vanity had received a serious blow from what he regarded as his son's ignominious return to Assisi. He had been more than willing to give him ample means for every pleasure, so that he might mingle on an equal footing with the young nobles of the land. But to see his money given lavishly to the beggars in the street and the lepers in the lazar houses was more than he could stand. A serious, ever-widening breach had formed between father and son. Pica, poor woman, knew that sooner or later a rupture would come, and much as she loved her strange son, she could do nothing to prevent it. There was literally no one who could comprehend Francis, much less render him any spiritual aid. One faithful companion there had been, who used to follow him round into the woods when he went to pray and stand at the doors of caves and grottoes until his season of meditation was over. But after a time, this friend had been obliged to leave him. Francis tried timidly to tell people a little of what God was dimly revealing to him, but his, to them, vague ideas only resulted in mocking smiles and assurances that he was rapidly becoming stark, staring, mad. So had things come about that in spite of himself Francis was thrown entirely and solely upon his new-found lord. The cross lay heavy upon him that day as he stumbled up the tiny olive-shaded path and lit upon the almost ruined church. This was a direction Francis seldom walked in, but today he had been so occupied with his thoughts that he scarcely knew where he was going. Seeing the church, he passed in and knelt to pray. Great and glorious God was his prayer, and thou, Lord Jesus, I pray thee shed abroad thy light in the darkness of my mind. Be found of me, Lord, so that in all things I may act only in accordance with thy holy will. As he prayed, little by little, a sense of peace and a new feeling of acceptance took possession of him. 
he had known before that god had pardoned him for the past and was keeping him in the midst of trials and hourly temptations but this was something quite different jesus accepted him individually his body as well as his soul his time talents all his being and desired his labor and assistance the poor lonely crushed heart was filled to overflowing he was conscious of a distinct union with christ from this time forth he was to know what it meant to be crucified with christ to die daily as he knelt there among the ruins and decay it seemed to him that a voice spoke to his soul thus francis dost thou see how my house is falling into ruins go and set thyself to repair it most willingly lord he answered hardly knowing what he said now respecting the incidents we are about to relate there are many and various theories some say the revelation made to francis referred to the spiritual work to which he had not as yet received his call others there are who blame him and call him rash and hot-headed and accuse him of running before he was sent we are not prepared to give judgment one way or the other god has not promised us that we shall never make mistakes and if francis made a mistake god certainly overruled it and made it work to his glory as he promised all things to work for those who love him again god has his own ways of working mysterious and curious though they often seem to us and what looks like the foolishness of men often redounds to his greatest praise but to return to what really happened francis rose from his knees and sought the priest who had charge of st damien's he pressed all the money he had about him into his hands begged him to buy oil and keep the lamp always burning then rushed off home saddling his horse he loaded it with the most costly stuffs he could find and rode off into a neighboring town where they found a ready market and realized a goodly sum when his stuff was all sold he disposed of his horse too and returning on foot to st damien's he placed a well-filled purse in the priest's hands told him with much satisfaction what he had done and begged him to have the church restored at once to his utter consternation the priest refused saying he dare not take so large a sum unless pietro bernardon approved poor francis was in despair he flung the money on a window-seat in disgust and begged the priest at least to give him a shelter for a few days that much bewildered man hardly knowing what to say or do consented and francis took up his abode with him but not for long pietro when he found his son did not return home as usual made inquiries and found where he was located he was very anxious and uneasy as he was sure now that his son was afflicted by a religious mania he would have to renounce all the high hopes he had formed for him 
However, he resolved to make a determined effort to recover him, and set out with a large party of friends to storm St. Damien's. They hoped that Francis would listen to reason and consent to follow them back quietly to Assisi, but Francis never waited to receive them. An uncontrollable fear took possession of him, and he fled and hid himself in a cavern he alone knew of. His father's party ransacked the priest's abode and all the country round, but they had to return home, baffled. For a month Francis remained shut up in the cavern. An old servant who loved him dearly was let into the secret, and used to bring him food. During this month he suffered intensely. It was the first time in his life he had ever suffered contradiction. The first time in his life he had ever had anyone really openly opposed to him. To be sure, people did not understand him, but they had never shown him any animosity. A sense of utter failure oppressed him. It was a hard trial to one of his temperament, and if his consecration had not been very real, he would never have stood the test. He wept and prayed and confessed his utter nothingness, his weakness, his inability to accomplish anything of himself. Never in his life had he felt weak and incapable before. Then humbly he entreated that God would enable him to accomplish his will and not permit his incapacity to frustrate God's designs for him. A consciousness of divine strength was manifested to him as never before. It was as if a voice said, I will be with thee, fear not. Strengthened with a strength he never knew heretofore, he came out of the cavern and made straight for his father's house. That day, as Pietro Bernadone sat at work indoors, the voice of a mighty tumult was borne into him. Such a clamor and yelling and shouting he had never heard in Assisi in all his time. Rushing upstairs, he looked out of the window. It seemed as though the entire populace had turned loose and were buffeting someone in their midst. "'A madman! A madman!' yelled the crowd, and sticks and stones and mud flew from all sides. "'A madman! A madman!' echoed the children. Determined not to lose the fun, Pietro hastened out into the street, joined the crowd, and discovered that his son, Francis, was the madman in question. With a howl of rage he rushed upon him, dragged him into the house with oaths and blows, and locked him up in a sort of dungeon. During the succeeding days he and his wife did all they could to persuade Francis to return to his old mode of life. Pietro entreated and threatened. Pica wept and caressed, but all in vain. "'I have received a command from God,' was their answer, "'and I mean to carry it out.' At last, after some time, Pietro, being absent for several days on business, Pica unlocked the dungeon and let her son go free. 
When Pietro returned, he cursed his wife and set off to St. Damien's to fetch Francis back, but Francis declined to go. He said that he feared neither blows nor chains, but God had given him a work to do, and nothing nor nobody would prevent him carrying out that mission. Pietro was struck by his son's coolness, and seeing that force would be of no use, he went to the magistrates and lodged a complaint against his son, desiring the magistrates to recover the money that his son had given to the church, and to oblige him to renounce in legal form all rights of inheritance. The magistrates seemed to have been much shocked at Pietro's harshness, but they summoned Francis, who would not appear. When asked to use violence, they said, No, your son has entered God's service. We have nothing to do with his actions, and utterly refused to have anything further to do with the case. End of section 3 Recording by Tom Hirsch